Ian Eagle is back for the second part of our 2023 Jets season preview today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Tuesday, September 5th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thanking you so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out, help other Jets fans find the show. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNFL or enter promo code LockedOnNFL for a water bottle with any order. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. Well, today we continue our discussion with Ian Eagle of CBS Sports. Yesterday, we had part one of our Jets season preview each year around this time. Ian, who is the Jets play-by-play announcer in preseason games on WCBS, stops by the show to preview the upcoming Jets season. Let's jump into part two of our discussion with Ian Eagle. And if you haven't seen part one yet, be sure to check out yesterday's show. Now, turning our attention to the defensive side of the ball, the Jets, I think, have a lot of talent at defensive end, whether you're talking Carl Lawson, who, you know, hopefully whatever he's dealing with with his back won't hold him up that much. John Franklin Myers, like one of the unheralded players on this team, a couple of young, talented young guys, Jermaine Johnson, Bryce Huff, first round pick Will McDonald. I think defensive tackle is a little bit more of a question mark now. It's weird to say that when you have a first team all pro and Quinton Williams there, but Sheldon Rankins did leave in free agency. Jets brought in a couple defensive tackles from Seattle. How do you think they navigate this defensive tackle position? And do you think maybe the Jets move guys like Clemens and Franklin Myers inside more than they have in the past? I could see it. Uh, I think they're going to give it a shot in the more traditional way initially. If they're not getting the the push that they're looking for from Al Woods and Solomon Thomas and Quentin Jefferson, guys like that, then you might see a little bit of a, a cross match with, with typical, what you would think are typical defensive ends that are capable of moving inside. Clemens is, he's just an Adonis. It's, it's insane. Uh, and that's saying a lot for guys on this team and guys that play that position that are just so physically imposing and impressive. Uh, this guy, he, he walks off the bus and, and you say to yourself, okay, uh, we're not going to beat that team with that guy. So now can he translate it to football talent consistently and production, which is the next step. Obviously they've been thrilled with, with what Will McDonald could bring Bryce Huff, who continues to be so efficient in what they ask him to do. And then the big step forward potentially for Jermaine Johnson. Uh, that that seems to be a, a pretty big theme out at Jets camp that uh, he's got a chance to to really have an impact in year two. Saw some moments here and there in in season number one, but the fact that he has the opportunity to be an all around defensive end, not just a guy that gets to the quarterback, but 
but someone that can do their work in the trenches and can be a, a big time player against the run. That's, that's a really big storyline for, for this team. Quentin Williams, man, he's got a lot of pride. We, we sat down with him in the preseason, you know, some guys signed the big contract and, you know, there's an exhale. I don't get the sense of that with him. I think he now wants to live up to it. And the words that, that he used is, I see guys on other teams that close, that close games out, individual interior linemen or pass rushers. He says, that's what I need to be. I need to be a closer. And that's how they're looking at it. Look, I think because of the, offensive issues last year this defense got very hardened that they had to go out and win games for the team and as we all know the hope this year if you're a Jets fan is that you don't need your defense to go win the game the offense is going to be good enough to hold up their end of the bargain and maybe that frees the Jets defense up to do some things they didn't do last year which is take the ball away take a couple chances more interceptions, more forced fumbles, more scores on that side of the ball. That, to me, is going to be the sign as to whether or not uh, this team has a chance to, to compete with, with anybody. If that starts happening, then this could be a really dangerous group. Now, you just spoke about Bryce, Bryce Huff's efficiency, and he got to the quarterback at a, at a pretty high rate last year. I was looking at his splits. It's it's kind of crazy. He played like 90% of the time on passing downs. Do you think the Jets will give him more opportunities on, you know, first and second downs this year? I don't know. I don't I don't get the sense of that, but obviously you you just see vanilla stuff during the preseason. Maybe Jeff Ulbrich has some things cooked up that that could go along the lines that you're talking about. I think they like Bryce in the role that he's in. He's signed to a, a nice contract, one year, $4.3 million. So maybe there are some plans to expand things a bit. They just have so many pieces. And it, it does, I know, again, hard knocks can give you a false sense of what's happening because it's it's almost recency bias. You know, you you see the video of the guys having dinner together and you think, oh, my my gosh, I don't know if there's a group any closer in the NFL. Well, yeah, no, they're they're close all around the league. Like that's what happens all over the league. And on winning teams, it, it usually happens quite a bit. But they've got so many of those pieces up front in my mind that it's just going to be a matter of playing checkers and putting the right guys in the right spots at the right time, which is always the case, as we know, in, in football, the great teams and great coaches and great coordinators usually figure that out. In this case, there is a little bit of an embarrassment of riches, I think. They, they could be number one, and I know that's a goal for them, but there is a legitimate chance they could be the number one defense in the NFL. Now, at the linebacker position, at least as far as the starters go, things seem pretty set. You've got C.J. Mosley, uh, Quincy Williams just got a long-term deal from the team after he hit free agency. But I'm interested in the third linebacker spot, which I think in this defense is kind of a part-time role. Last year, it was filled ably by Quan Alexander. Jets mm -hmm. let him go. It didn't seem like they had a lot of interest. I mean, it just didn't seem like the Jets he didn't sign with, for Pitts, with Pittsburgh for that much money. So... 
Do the Jets think Sherwood can step into that role? Do they think somebody else internally is a good fit for that? Yeah, my sense with Quan is, look, they're around him every single day. His effort level and intensity would never be questioned. My sense is that they might have seen that he was running out of gas, certainly by the end of the year, that he just couldn't bring it. Now, don't know it as a fact. I'm just going off of some of the things that I heard in regards to that decision. They like Sherwood a lot. Robert Sala just loves finding guys that may have played a different position, but they see in a different role. Sherwood was a safety in college. They asked him to bulk up. He did. Hard hitter. They think he's really smart. He brings great length. There's a toughness there, and it's still pretty new to him, but they seem to believe that that he has the instincts to do this job well. He's got a track background, so running is not an issue. They they know that he can go out there and, and run at that spot. It's an experience. He tore his Achilles in 2021, so you know that's a lost year. Saw him a little bit last year where they were trusting him in, in certain situations, and now they're, they're putting a lot more responsibility on, on his shoulders. So this was a very conscious move on their part, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala. Uh, this guy's ready. We feel like he can do the job. And I think they have all the confidence that you're looking for in him. Now it's up to him uh, to to actually go out and do it. But Got a great mentor in C.J. Mosley, as we know. Mosley really is that guy. He is a leader. He is steady in how he goes about his business. He's really professional, and I think he sets a tone in that linebacker room. And we know with Quincy Williams, he's just going to fly all over the field. Big hitter. Uh, you know, He's got to be careful of, of some flags here and there, but I think they just love his aggressiveness and his mentality. It was really interesting when I asked Quinnen Williams about a bunch of different topics, but I, I just said, hey, have you ever just taken a step back, say how cool it is that you're playing in the NFL with your brother? Like The idea that both of you made it, which is hard to believe and hard to accomplish, but you're both doing it for the same team. And he smiled. He's like, yeah, in the offseason – Quincy and I hang together back in Alabama, and, and yes, those thoughts hit me. He says, but I got to be honest, when we get into training camp and into the preseason, into the regular season, into the routine, that all these guys are my brothers. It just feels like they're all my brothers, and Quincy's one of them. So just an interesting view and lens there of the football mentality. Uh, this is his real brother. And he said, when you get into this format, everybody feels like they're, they're part of your family. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Bird Dogs. You know, each year when Ian Eagle visits, I ask him about the attire he wears as a CBS announcer. I'm very interested in the CBS blazer. We'll get to that later. Ian always looks good wearing the CBS blazer. Well, you should wear Bird Dogs because they'll make you look good. Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. These shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but they fit way better because 
other shorts are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Bird Dogs fixed this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so that you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird Dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. Bird Dogs are functional for any occasion. Golf, a date, an evening out, going to the pool, working out, lounging, working. Bird Dogs are just great. So go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNFL or enter promo code LockedOnNFL at checkout for a free Bird Dogs water bottle, water bottle with your order. Again, that's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNFL for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off. We promise you. Now at the corner position, the Jets are led by Sauce Gardner, the reigning defensive rookie of the year. And you know something that I was thinking about over the last couple of weeks in the NFL at corner, when once you get a reputation, teams just stop throwing at you. And mm-hmm. it takes a while usually to get that reputation. Like Revis, I don't think really had it until year four. He had that great season in 2009, but he actually led the league in passes defense. Teams were still going at him. And it seems to me like Sauce Gardner, like already across the league, teams know we're not going to throw at this guy. It's, I don't think I've ever seen a, a player get that reputation in one year. Yeah, it's it's pretty wild because we know in this league they're going to test you more often than not uh, offensive coordinators usually are cocky enough to believe no nope, i got something this guy hasn't seen or we got a guy we got a burner we got someone that he won't be able to handle we don't care about his reputation and that'll happen by the way you know that's why if you're sauce gardener uh, the things that he has said this preseason are things to live by, which is, you know, you got to intercept the ball. If they're going to, if they're going to try you, it's great that you're a cover corner that is feared, but you want to be a cover corner that's feared for actually turning the ball over that he's going to make you pay, uh, not just make the play. So I think that's his main focal point. I think that has been banged into his head uh, by Jeff Ulbricht, by Robert Sala, by everybody associated with the Jets defense that uh, you want to be one of the greats, which he has a chance to be. Uh, You also have to have picks. You can't just be the guy that, that is a blanket. But he's the whole package, and his pride level is so high. And he's a really interesting guy because you talk to him, it's a lot of business. He's got a business-like approach to what he does, but he is still a kid. (laughs) And you kind of feel that uh, in, in those moments on hard knocks when you see him outside of the typical media setup of, you know, he's 22, he, he just happens to be a gifted 22-year-old that everybody has their eye on. So he can handle the stress and the angst that comes with playing corner. He's ultra-confident. And I think if anything this year, uh, what you have to look for is, does this guy take the ball away? And I think the Jets have a couple of other corners who are very good, but are a bit unheralded because of all the attention Sauce rightfully gets. I thought DJ Reed had an excellent season across from Gardner Agreed. last year. And even Michael Carter II, I think, is, a, is developed into a really good slot corner. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, it's funny with that position, um, 
it's it's these two worlds. Like either you're in that upper echelon of cornerbacks that get to that rarefied air, as you mentioned, that teams don't even test them. They don't even throw their way. And then there's either part of the equation of guys that just do their job and kind of go unnoticed. And I think both Reed and Carter, Reed got attention last year. So uh, I maybe wouldn't put him quite in that classification. The, the Jets paid him three years, $33 million. Uh, you could just see his confidence and tenaciousness and his physical traits last year. He's very aggressive. And he had an outstanding season. But Michael Carter, to me, would definitely qualify as someone that all right, he doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. He just does his job. He's consistent in doing his job. He's in his third year. He's been a little unheralded. He's really smart. And I think he just quietly does his thing, and that's worked for him. Now, you know, fans may not notice it, but I could tell you player personnel people notice it around the NFL. So someone like that will get paid because – the work that they do shows up on tape. Now, moving to the safety position, Tony Adams, I think, is one of the stories of training camp in the preseason. It seems like he's going to have a big role. How good do you think the Jets believe he can be? I think that uh, this is not something that they came to on happenstance. Uh, the decision they made to, to give Tony Adams a more primetime position comes with a year of evaluating him and then now speculating what they think he can be. They think this kid can be a star, and I'm saying Pro Bowl-level player. That's what they believe. This is not nice story, undrafted free agent, cheap. No. They really think this guy has a chance to, to be an impact player. Now, remember, they, they signed Chuck Clark during the offseason, torn ACL, and he was penciled in here. Adrian Amos gets a deal. Nine-year veteran. He's played in, in uh, two places prior to this with Chicago and, and Green Bay. And he's known for being pretty versatile, play, play either safety spot and good speed, good range. And yeah, Tony Adams has been the one that they've keyed in on this entire offseason. I think from OTAs on, they just decided he, he was going to be the guy. So they see something special in him. Uh, this, this is not a, hey, let's try it and see what happens. Uh, they, they believe he's, he's going to very much grow into the position. Now, as you mentioned, the Jets did bring in Adrian Amos. You also have incumbent starter Jordan Whitehead still around. Do you think that three safety looks may be more prevalent in the defense this year than they have in the past? Yeah, I could see that. I think they trust all three guys at a high level. And Whitehead's interesting. There was a lot more fanfare last year for Whitehead, having signed the deal, came over, having won a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. And I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he had a, a standout season uh, to the point where you thought, oh, man, they're, they're all set now forever. There were some mistakes there over the course of the year. He's a really likable guy. He's confident, and he packs a punch. I think they expect him to be better this year. 
But you're right. There, there could be some of that look uh, based on the fact that those are versatile pieces that they believe in. And they also think all three guys are, are smart enough to do it. Uh, again, with Whitehead, I think there were some missed assignments last year and some things that he would like to have back. But I believe the Jets see this as, as the kind of bounce back year. And the reason why they signed them originally to uh, the two-year $14.5 million. Now, I'm not sure whether they spoke to this when when you met with some of the decision makers in preseason, but when I look at the Jets' 53-man roster, it does strike me that maybe there was an emphasis, especially on the bottom spots on the roster, on keeping special teams contributors. Of course, Justin Hardy's been around for a few years. The keeper, mm-hmm. Charles, is the seventh receiver, and Robert Sala has indicated they think he's great on special teams. A guy like Ashton Davis, who you know maybe isn't going to play a key role on defense, but plays all across the special teams units. Do you get the feeling that that's something that goes into their their roster decisions, especially like the you know the very bottom spots, like the 48, 49, 50th man? Yeah, yeah, we didn't discuss it at all in in our two preseason meetings, but I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Just look at the roster look at how it's constructed there are plenty of teams that will not do it that way and try to try to maybe work it so that they're using guys in dual roles and they can justify keeping them on a team because he's going to do something else these are really specific special teamers in many ways in, in what you've discussed. Of course, depth and areas and continue to teach, and maybe they still believe in them down the road as, as something more than that. You know, Ashton Davis is, is a fourth-year player, and he's a really interesting story. Speed guy, track star, walked on the football team, like wide receiver in high school. So it's not like, oh, he's just been a you know, career defensive guy his whole life. This is what he's born to do. And he ends up being a third round pick, which, uh, you know, probably was a little high if, if I remember correctly on that draft. But he's carved out a role and they trust him in that role. So I applaud them for, for recognizing the full use of the 53-man roster Look, we know things can change in a hurry in this league. And uh, if if you have a serious injury and you don't believe the guy that's at the bottom of your roster can actually do the job, then those are the guys that are most vulnerable to go at any moment because they are usually replaceable. But I give the Jets credit for for defining roles and then uh, actually reflecting it in their 53-man roster. Today's episode of Locked on Jets is brought to you by FanDuel. It's giving you a lot of great information about the upcoming season for the Jets. It's one of the most anticipated Jets seasons ever. And you can get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get over $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. That's right. Sunday tickets on YouTube and YouTube TV this year. You don't need a satellite dish anymore if you're an out-of-market Jets fan. There are going to be a lot of primetime games, but there are also going to be a lot of Sunday afternoon games. So you'll want to make sure you have NFL Sunday ticket. Betting $5 at FanDuel will get you $100 off NFL Sunday ticket. 
Now's the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use, and you can be on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Now, because of various salary cap maneuverings and because Aaron Rodgers decided to give back some money, the Jets do have quite a bit of cap space entering the season. And, you know, it's a short uh, window they have with Aaron Rodgers. Do you think the Jets will be aggressive in the trade market trying to address holes or, you know, perhaps if injuries leave a certain spot as a weakness? Do you, do you think that they'll be on the on the aggressive side looking to make a deal to upgrade their team? I do. I do. I, I don't I don't see the Jets looking at this situation as anything other than what it seems to be, which is here's your window. <laughs> this is this is one of those setups where uh, you're hoping for a perfect storm in the fact that you got Aaron Rodgers, you convinced them that New York was the right place for him, which I still think they're pinching themselves over at times. You know, he's changed the whole way that the team is viewed throughout the league, uh, throughout New York sports. They're seen differently, and they're seen differently because of him. Look, I went through it on a personal level with the Nets when they went out and got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and eventually got James Harden, and we know that it never resulted in a championship. Probably should have won the title the year that Durant's toe was just on the line at the end of game seven regulation against Milwaukee, which tied the game, a three-pointer wins the game, and they advance the Eastern Conference Finals. And who knows at that point? They play Atlanta, who team they should have beaten, and then Phoenix and, and the NBA Finals. And now we're talking about a completely different memory of, of that iteration. But there was something to be said for ownership at that point saying, no, let's go for it. The Jets are going for it. So everything to me indicates that if there is something that needs to be addressed roster-wise prior to the trade deadline, they're going to address it. This is the time that they're going to spend whatever it requires to try to win. And we've seen teams, you know, the Rams obviously did it, and the Buccaneers did it with aging quarterbacks, and won the Super Bowl. And now they're paying for it a bit. The Rams are not going to be very good this year. The Buccaneers are not going to be very good this year. But they won their championship. I think the Jets feel differently in that, of course, if Aaron Rodgers plays two years and says, hey, I've had enough, and then they got to move on, there's a whole other podcast we could do in regards to Zach Wilson and his mindset and where he's currently at. But they have young talent. That's the difference. Their team is pretty young, other than Aaron. It's a young squad. So I think they're viewing this a little differently than, than those teams did, where I think they mortgage the future knowing, hey, we'll, we'll deal with it down on the back end, but let's just try to win now. But the Jets have a little bit of both. It's the win now approach, and it's the, nope, the team has a young enough core that it should be competitive for, for many years to come. Do you think that there's any spot that they specifically are looking at right now, as far as a trade goes, do you think maybe the, the offensive line, maybe it's wide receiver after Davis, 
or do you think they feel comfortable? They want to see where things go this season and they'll address it. You know, they'll, they'll try and address it once they figure out where the weaknesses are. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's the two areas that you mentioned. There was a, a board in Joe Douglas's office and it's a dry erase board with the word needs. I think O-line and wide receiver are, are the two areas that they'll keep their eyes and ears open. And if there is a trade to be made that is going to make them significantly better in one of those spots, they'll jump on it. And it's not surprising that those are the two areas that most affect Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> they want to do everything possible to put him in the best position to succeed and to flourish. So everything that you saw, obviously, on Hard Knocks in regards to Aaron is everything that I saw just being around the team and how guys are responding to him and the care in which he's taken and bonding with his teammates and trying to find common ground. That's the stuff you don't know until you get in the moment. You can... You can acquire a big-name player, a future Hall of Famer. You just don't know how they're going to handle themselves in that situation. And that, that's what gives the Jets so much confidence that this was the right move. He's handled it exceptionally well. And in addition to the Jets making him feel welcome, he's made everybody around him feel welcome and approachable. And that's a big part of it. And that's a big part of winning, too. Now, the Jets don't have a Sunday afternoon game week one. They play Monday night against Buffalo. So we should wa- everybody should, should watch the game you're calling. Where will you be week one? <laughs> uh, I've got Cincinnati-Cleveland. So we're on uh, Joe Burrow watch. And obviously, if he plays, that, that changes everything about that game. But yeah, a lot of intrigue there. That division is really interesting. I think the AFC East is is deep and highly talented. I think the AFC North has a chance to be in a similar vein. You know, we're going to find out if Deshaun Watson is back to being what he once was out on the field in his prior stint with Houston, or if uh, it's it's just not what the Browns expected it to be. Uh, but you know, you talk to Cleveland people and they say, no, it's it's going to be much better. Um, You got to prove it, prove it on the field. But Cincinnati is one of those teams. The the Jets are, are trying to get into that classification. Uh, The Bengals have done it in a really effective way. Uh, They obviously got the franchise quarterback. He's been everything they hoped he would be. And then some, but they also had a really good mix of players ready for the franchise quarterback to, to lift them up. So uh, excited about that. Week two, I've got Kansas City at Jacksonville. A lot of real interest there because of the defending Super Bowl champions and, of course, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars and Doug Peterson in year two. I worked that playoff game against the Chargers last year on radio, which is still – hard to believe and wrap your brain around that they came back and won. And then uh, week three, I have a good old NFC matchup with Carolina at Seattle and the Seahawks in an NFC that 
it's a little bit more open than it had been in, in previous years. You know, there, there's definitely been a shift NFC to AFC with more teams that you consider a Super Bowl contender in the AFC compared to the NFC. So is Seattle a team that could surprise some people? Was, was it lightning in a bottle with Geno Smith last year? Or is he just now at a place where he's got really good command of what he's doing. Pete Carroll seems to love his group. He loves to chew gum hard. We know that, but I think he loves his team as well. Former head coach of the Jets. So that's all we got. Those are the first three assignments. We don't know anything beyond that, but uh, I do know that there is a real sense of anticipation for this season, John. And I, I think that every year, but for some reason, there, there just seems whether it was hard knocks, whether it was the quarterback show on Netflix, Whatever it is, there just seems to be a, a real desire for this thing to get going and get started and a high level of fanfare leading into the year. Now, my last question, and it's the topic I end I end with every year. It's an interest of mine, probably nobody else's, but will there be any changes <laughs> to the CBS Blazer this year? No, no changes. Uh, I did get a new one sent in the mail, but it's interesting. I'm going to give you some very inside baseball here. Charles Davis has been working off his previous year's blazer. So he texted me the other day and said, hey, my plan is to use the 2022 blazer. Are you on board with that? And I texted back. You got it. I'm in 2022 blazer. So he was using his 21 blazer last year. He's going to use the 22 blazer this year. I'm going to match him with my 2022 blazer and we will be in lockstep in unison and our electric blue blazers will match in glistening natural daylight at one o'clock. I love how this is becoming more and more of a topic because last year you had the <laughs> Vikings and you mentioned at one point that Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings head coach, worked with CBS, and when he left CBS, he kept his blazer. So we, we're getting all this blazer yeah. insight these days. Yeah, and, and I realize also that we're the only ones left doing this. No other network does the blazer thing anymore. Uh, Fox never did it. NBC did it for a while. They gave it up. Uh, you know, Monday Night Football, way back when, as we know, every now and again they do a throwback. But ESPN doesn't do it. We're, we're it. We're, we're a dinosaur here with, with the emblem blazers. So uh, you might be the only person truly interested in this, but if I have an audience for one on some of these topics during the games, then I'm just talking to you. Well, I'll be listening. And on that profound note, thank you so much for joining us once again. I We really appreciate the insight. Yeah. My pleasure. Always great chatting with you. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks so much to special guest Ian Eagle for joining us. It was a great two-day discussion with him on the 2023 Jets season. But this has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. If you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast for us, give the show a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, please a big thumbs up. These things help us out and help other Jets fans find the show. Hope you have a great Tuesday, everybody. Send in your mailbag questions tomorrow. We'll have our weekly mailbag show.